The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam, including the Tascam Mini Studio. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Forgive the interruption, but I believe this requires your attention. Meanwhile, at the above-ground underwater suborbital volcano lair... Sergeant, we need a response team. We're already putting together the best move. With all due respect, sir, so am I. It's real! Mighty Marvel Geeks. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're we're a time bomb. Well then, son, you've got a condition. Your show about all things Marvel with Mike, Kylan, and Eric. What a bunch of losers. I am crew. That I did know. These people may be isolated and unbalanced, but I believe with the right push, it can be exactly what you need. I'm suit up. I'm bringing the party to you. I have indeed been uploaded, gentlemen, online and ready. And welcome to another issue of Mighty Marvel for Geeks. It is the in- the Intrepid Trio, yes. I remember <laughs> which call signs we're using on this one. It is the Intrepid Trio, minus one, but one field agent. And that's myself, Mike, Kylan, and field agent Derek. And joining us is our pleasure, writer of some of our favorite Star Wars comics, writer of some of our favorite Marvel comics, author himself, Former attorney or still attorney? We'll ask that here in a quick second. Charles Soule. Hey, so, so much for having me. Former attorney or still an attorney? I'm still licensed to practice in the state of New York. Um, I do not practice as much as I used to. Uh, I used to be completely full-time. I had my own office in Brooklyn, and, and I had tons of clients and the whole thing. Um, but then around 2016, 2017, when things really started to take off in, in, a, in a way that was impossible to ignore on the writing side, I, I stopped accepting new business and, and spun out all the cases of the clients I had at that time. And then I just haven't taken on any new clients. So so I will still do work. I probably do maybe one or two things a year um, as, a, as a lawyer, but um, mostly now it just helps me do things like write Daredevil and stuff like that. Okay. So before 2016, were you doing some writing for comics or, or novels? Yeah. The, the, my, I was first published in comics in 2009. I had a, a graphic novel, an OGN called Strongman, which was put out through a company called Slave Labor or SLG, Slave Labor Graphic. Um, based in San Jose. And they, they actually kicked off the career of a lot of very substantial uh, creators. Uh, they, they were known as kind of a, a place where a lot of people got their start. So, you know, Yonan Vasquez was there. Phil Hester was there. I was there. Um, plenty more. And so um, I was first published there. Then I had a book out through Image called 27. Uh, then I had a book with Archaea called Strange Attractors. And then right around then is when I got tapped to write Swamp Thing for DC, uh, which I did. Uh, and then around then is when everything started to blow up up a little bit and I Marvel asked me to come over and write first She-Hulk then Death Wolverine then uh, you know uh, millions of things uh, after that so yeah um, so with She-Hulk what, or what was it what was it like for Marvel to approach you and say, hey, we want to bring you on. We want to take you away from D.C. or um, or, or did they still allow you to work D.C. at the time? Well, yeah, 
I've I've been asked, you know, people ask me, how do you get a job at Marvel? How do you get a DC, a job at DC? And, and really the best way to do that is to have a job at the other one um, because they, they, <laughs> the minute they hear that that somebody is, uh, you know, giving somebody some cool work, they're like, well, why, don't, why is that person not working for us? So it's a little, I, this was back in, this was in 20, 2012, 2013. 2013 is when really I was working for both a lot in 2014. But they, um, the at that time, it was, I think it was much more common to be doing work for for both there were a few people like me who were doing it i mean it was never common but there were a few people who were writing for both at the same time and um i did it for like two years which was which was very intense and and i don't know that i would necessarily recommend it it's very like there was a time when i was writing eight comics a month uh which was but in the end you want to establish your your career and you want to show people that you're you're up for it and you can really get it all done you know you you go to extraordinary lengths uh but but anyway i mean it's sort of you know i was writing i think when marvel approached me at that time i was writing um swamp thing a long run on swamp thing and what ended up being a long run on a, on a title called red lanterns and then um marvel reached out and actually had me uh take over a book called thunderbolt which was my first marvel work so i did that mm-hmm. i picked that up with, i think issue 12 or 13 after uh daniel way was on the title for a while um so then i moved the, from there to, and that's when I got my first number one, which was She-Hulk, which ended up being a very, very, very formative book for me. Um, it really, I think, established me as a voice in comics. Um, that, I mean, honestly, that and Swamp Thing and Superman Wonder Woman did a lot for me, too, uh, as as books that, that you know, you, I think gave editors confidence to give me a title that I would, be, uh, you know, do, do well with, no matter what it was, which was great. Not to get. I have to say, um, you, your run on She-Hulk uh, is. I love She-Hulk, and that was probably, I would say, my f- run, my favorite thing of She-Hulk I've ever read. I just loved your take on it. Thank you. I, I mean, I think a lot of it was, you know, I, I was a practicing attorney at the time. Like She-Hulk's office in that run, the the shop she opened in Brooklyn was was my building uh, ah. in 68, 68 J Street in, in Dumbo in Brooklyn was was where she worked, and that's where I worked. And so a lot of the struggle that you saw her go through, like, how do I get new clients? How do I pay my rent? How do I deal with all this? Was stuff that I went through and a lot of young attorneys go through. There's a, there's a, there's a very common, it's called, you know, putting up a shingle or putting out a shingle is when you start your own practice. And so um, I hadn't seen, I mean, there haven't really been that many legal procedural comics in the first place. And if you're going to do one, She-Hulk seems like a great place to do it. Mm. Well, our co-host, Eric, who couldn't be with us tonight, um, one of the questions he's asked, and I'm going to put these in off and on, you have some pretty iconic characters, uh, Wolverine, Darth Vader, Daredevil. Do you ever feel any sense of trepidation or intimidation when you learned you'd be taking over writing any of them? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I think the one, it was all different. Like, we could, why don't we take each one of those characters in turn? Because I was asked to write not just Wolverine, but Death of Wolverine. Uh, as, as, mm. as and, and, and I had never had anything even close to that level of work. I mean, the closest thing I could compare to it was Superman Wonder Woman, which was a great book at DC, but, you know, ultimately it's, a, it's you know, it wasn't the same as killing off an iconic, like a truly, truly iconic character. It was, it was notable because you had Superman and Wonder Woman in a relationship, but it was... It was different. So Death of Wolverine was like, okay, if 
I can get this right, if I can do this in a way that people really think it's special, my career is sort of set. I'm, I'm, I'm good for quite a while. And if I screw it up, then I'll just be one of the many people who get a few chances in comics and then can't make it go. And <laughs> so my feeling on it was the potential upside was so significant, so high, uh, that I didn't care about the downside. I just wanted to do my absolute best and know that down the road, when I thought about that opportunity, that I had done everything I possibly could to succeed. Because, you know, if it hadn't worked in, in 15 years after that, I would still like to say, well, you know what? It didn't work, but I did everything I could to make make it work. That's important. So I did it. I wrote it. I wrote it. I wrote my ass off on that. Work with Steve McNiven, who's become a very close friend of mine, and we collaborate mm-hmm. to this day on stuff. Um, and and it was it worked. You know, it, was, it sold a ton. Was very well received. It's it's considered a very formative chapter in Wolverine's life. And and from there, I moved on to a lot of really significant chunks of work at Marvel. Uh, and I I learned from that. You know, that you just always swing for the fences. You don't. You know, if you get an opportunity and you agree to do the opportunity you push it as far as hard as you can and if it doesn't work it doesn't work but but at least you know you did your best um so that was what so death of wolverine was like my my shot right my shot at getting in and getting to to kind of to the a level um and and i took it and it worked and 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 i feel really good about it so now it was a good shot thank you <laughs> um so daredevil was a little different because by that point i had been um i was pretty well established at at marvel by that point that was that was in 2015 i think my run began and um I had been writing for them for several years and everyone knew that I had I had done the She-Hulk run and, and I had this take because I was a lawyer. Like that was my identity as a comic writer. I was the lawyer writer. And so the idea of being able to take over Daredevil was very appealing to me and it was appealing to Marvel. It all just sort of made sense. So when Mark Wade signaled that he was going to be um, ending his run, it was it was way in advance of when I was going to take it over because that was when uh, Jonathan Hickman was going to do his um, there's so many events. This was uh, Secret Wars. Secret War with the one with with Battle World and all that stuff. So so basically, Mark ended his run in the spring, and then I was going to take over Daredevil in the fall, which I did. Which gave me a lot, and I knew that way ahead of time. So it gave me a long runway. Um, and so the way Daredevil felt was, you know, I love Daredevil. It was the character. If you were going to ask me any character I really really wanted to write a Marvel, it was always it was always Daredevil because Daredevil was very seminal for me with with Frank Miller's run and Kevin Smith's run and Bendis's run and Brubaker's and just so many through the years, and I had loved. Mark Wade's run too. So taking it off, taking it over after an Eisner run, um, after so many like truly heavy hitters had been on that title, it, it, it kind of felt like when I took Swamp Thing, because that also had tons of heavy hitters, but different because at this point I sort of had something to prove almost. Like if, if I hadn't done anything cool on Swamp Thing, nobody would have cared because I was nobody at that time. At this point, I kind of had a little bit of a name in the industry and, and I was a lawyer. So it felt like this I had to do a really good job on. And I had to do a good job on it, not just as a writer of Daredevil, but as an attorney writer of Daredevil. Um, so I put a lot of time and work into the lawyer side of it. Uh, I made, I, I, I put Daredevil into legal situations that I didn't really even know that well, so that I would research them and push myself so I couldn't get lazy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've done a lot of lawyer stuff over the years, but I'm not a litigator. And so putting Daredevil in courtroom situations was something I kind of knew, but I had to get right. All the political stuff with when he becomes mayor and the Supreme Court stuff, like all of those choices were made to put a definitive stamp on my Daredevil and make it not like Miller's, not like Brubaker's, not like anybody else's, because I wanted to make it so only a lawyer could have 
written that Daredevil run. And I think I think it worked. Um, so so that was the sort of the mid phase, right? So that was Daredevil. That's where I really felt like I had something to prove. I had a job to do that was directly related to my identity as a writer and as a person. Um, and now we get to the other big massive icon that I've done recently, which was Darth Vader. Um, <sighs> So, so Darth Vader was 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 tricky uh, for different reasons. Am I just? Do you want me to just keep going? Because like this is, oh. I'm guessing this is where we go, right? Sure. Okay. Awesome. Um, well, Star so, Wars, Star Wars comics is part of Marvel. Yes, it certainly is. So, uh, so Darth Vader. Um, when I was approached to do that comic, I was I had done a Lando miniseries, an Obi Wan and Anakin miniseries, and a long run on a Poe Dameron comic, a Poe Dameron ongoing comic, which was sort of yes. getting close to wrapping it up. And I at that point had done uh, my work had been very well received and it sold really well. Uh, and so I was in as far as Star Wars went, I was in a really good place. Um, but the thing that's different about the Star Wars comics and Star Wars storytelling in general these days is that everything is canon. Everything counts. Mm. And so you can't, like, you know, if you, like, I've never I've never been on Amazing Spider-Man, but let's say I did a, a bad Amazing Spider-Man run. People just sort of like, well, none of that stuff counts. Like, that's not the real stuff. Like, who cares? Um, but Darth Vader, like, and particularly the stories I was choosing to tell in Darth Vader were going to be the only version of how those stories would be told, at least for some time to come. So uh, that was very nerve-wracking because I knew that the storytelling period that the, this, the book was going to take place in was right after I Episode three. So it was it was baby Vader basically. It was just after he'd gotten to in a suit of armor and, and had all these horrible things to work through and also had all these crazy things to achieve, whether it's his lightsaber, his first red lightsaber, his castle, you name it. So I had a lot to work with as far as kind of meaty storytelling, but I was also like, I didn't want to screw those things up. I wanted to make sure that they were done well in a way that the fandom would embrace. Um, and then beyond that is like, you know, of all of the Star Wars comics that have come out since the relaunch, I mean, that Kieran Gill and Darth Vader run is, yeah. is one of the best things, right? Mm-hmm. It's, and yeah. no one would argue that it's one of the best things. It absolutely is. It has so many incredible moments. So I'm following up Kieran, who's a close friend of mine and brilliant. Um, I'm I'm dealing with a time period that is explosive and and very difficult and full of moments that you really have to nail. And I'm also one of the world's biggest Star Wars fans. I mean, I'm a bigger fan than any of you guys. I guarantee it. Maybe not guarantee it, but I am. I'm, I'm a very big. I was gonna say um, th- those of us on here who have a Star Wars show, raise your hand. <laughs> Um, Those of us who have told the story of how Darth Vader got his lightsaber, raise your hand. Uh Oh, okay. All right. Anyway. uh, And we we talk about that on the show and enjoy it. Hold on. Oh, there's a Podan element. There you go. There you go. Um, all right, Every, everybody here is a Star Wars fan. There's no doubt about it. But I am, I am certainly. Okay, I got the, I got the. Fan. I see Vader in the Darth back. Vader behind me. Um, so basically, my point is, I'm a, I'm a devoted fan of the, of the mythology, and I really wanted to do a great job. So this, this was when, like, okay. I am a very seasoned comic book writer at this point. I have written, you know, this is when I took on Vader. I have written hundreds of comic issues. I uh, knew this universe inside and out. Uh, I had been given this opportunity to just to really do something special if I could do it. And I just, you know, it's just in many ways, it's the same as, as Death of Wolverine and Daredevil. You just when you get these opportunities, you do not turn away and you give it everything you've got. And if you're lucky, people embrace it. And I was fortunate that all three of the things we've talked about were embraced. And I don't know. I don't necessarily know why that was or what the magic was, but I'm I am hopeful that it will continue in my career because those those three projects, one, two, three, um, along with some other things I was lucky to write, have have really put me in a great place with my writing career, and I, I'm very grateful for all of them. I, I think he, the magic was they were all good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. 
guy. <laughs> well, I, I loved how you described your run of um, Darth Vader at the Marvel panel at Star Wars Celebration in 2017. You you described it as Darth Vader year one, giving it yeah. that Batman year one vibe. And it, and it was. Now, one of the most... Um, I don't want to say controversial, but most debated things from your Vader was the scene or the section with Palpatine and Shimi. Oh, yeah. In issue 25. Uh, The debate is he impregnated her. The other debate is he just manipulated the unborn child. Care to share some light on that, on what your approach was? Yeah. I mean, I think that the... I've been asked this question many, many, many times on Twitter and interviews all over the place. Issue 25 is one of my favorite things I've ever written, and it's because of the ambiguity. It's because when you read it, you are very much in Darth Vader slash Anakin's mindset as you're experiencing these things that he's being told. And like, you know, Skywalkers are often told things that they're not sure whether or not they're true. Whether it's Luke being told that Vader's his father, and then he's got to figure it out. Whether it's Luke being told by Obi-Wan that his father, you know, was killed, and all, all of these things and like there is a kind of a long tradition in Star Wars of, of these characters not really knowing what to do and pu- and then being forced to put their trust in the force right now the force has two sides as we all know there's the light side and the dark side and they both play kind of fast and loose with the truth things are true from a certain point of view and I think that that whole issue was a conversation between the dark side and and, and I'm going to call him Anakin Skywalker because I think within that series uh, you you almost like Anakin Skywalker basically does not exist other than in issue 25 where I think is the closest we come to seeing Anakin Skywalker in that series and so it's a conversation with whatever's left of Anakin Skywalker and and the dark side and the dark side is is making a case and is saying look man you know it's time to get on with things like you got you got to let the past die. Kill it if you have to. Whatever. Um, and and so when you look at it through that lens, I think scenes like the one you're talking about with Palpatine and Shmi, and like the all of the stuff, the, the Padme vision, all of the things, the Luke vision, all of the things that are seen in that issue are about Anakin coming to terms with the fact that he is Darth Vader, and Darth Vader is unfortunately a burned up husk in a suit of armor, and and his his job is to now serve the dark side and serve the instrument of the dark side, who is Palpatine, and. and And by the end, he says yes in that last line, just like at the beginning of the series in issue one, he says no. So the whole series is about him coming from no to yes and becoming the Darth Vader that he then is for the next 30 odd years, 20 some odd years until we see in A New Hope when he, you know, things change for him. Um, And he realizes that maybe there is hope because his his son is alive. Uh, So that's as far as I'm willing to explain about that particular question. (laughs) Well, okay, because uh, I'm a huge Poe Dameron fan. Right. Uh, so, uh, what what guided your approach to this book? That was a very interesting. So, I wrote Poe Dameron for I think 31 issues, and it started uh, just it started coming out just after Episode Seven, Force Awakens, and it ran till after Episode Eight. And uh, by the end of the series, it was literally only the only storytelling. It still hasn't been very much, but at that time, it was the only storytelling that moved past the the end beats of Episode Eight, which was very 
exciting. So it covered a lot of ground that was really pretty thrilling for me as a Star Wars fan, because this was when, you know, we didn't know what the story of the, of the sequel trilogy was going to be, and, and everything was still like, oh, what are the secrets? What's, our, what's all happening? And the fact that they let me play in, in a very kind of exciting sandbox was fun. So when I started the book, though, it was interesting. I started that book with Phil Noto, who's a good friend of mine and a brilliant artist. Um, I've been so lucky to, to work with so many incredible artists over my career. It's like they're all, and, and many of them have become close friends of mine, too. It's just, it's fantastic. Um, but when when we started working on that series, it was the summer of 2015, I think. And uh, so that was before Force Awakens had come out. Um, but we were starting to work on the series about a prominent character in Force Awakens. And... So he and I got flown to Lucasfilm in San Francisco, where we got to get a kind of preview of what was going to happen in episode seven. And this is before anyone knew anything. So this getting that curtain pulled back felt like, oh, my God, you know, my career. I've had some very, very lucky milestones in my career. Like I've been very fortunate to have certain things happen um, through the work that I've done. And that that first trip to Lucasfilm was absolutely one of them. When you you're in this mecca for for people who have love for Star Wars, you're also ILM is in the same building so we got to walk through ILM and see everything they've been working on oh, uh, uh-huh. and and they have there's tons of beautiful memorabilia and matte paintings and, and miniatures and all those things from ILM um, there's the you know Java the Hut coffee place there's the Lucasfilm company store where you can only get things that aren't like it's just it's really special and, and you're there so that you can get a sneak preview of episode 7 which is the most exciting property you know not even property story being told at that time uh, because you're going to write more stories centered around it. It was like, I can't, I can't really, like we met story group that day for the first time. Like I know a lot of those guys well now, they're good friends of mine, but like at that time, it just felt like you're, you, you, you've entered this club that you couldn't imagine ever being part of for your entire life. And then here you are in the place, this thing that you've loved since you were in first grade or whatever the age was, and you're part of it in a, in a really real way. So that was extraordinary. So I'm just telling you that story because it was cool. But as far as how that informed my approach, you know, we, we had to start writing Podamron. I had to write the first issue without having seen the movie and without having heard a single word that Podamron said. I had no idea what his character was like. I didn't, I didn't know what, how he spoke or what he did. Um, and so I just asked a series of questions from story group. You know, does he, if he, is he charismatic? Is he a good leader? If he's in a, if he has a chance to tell a joke, will he tell a joke? Um, is he in the Indiana Jones mold? Is he more in the, you know, stoic hero mode? Like, what is he like? And so they answered those questions for me. And then we started building a character or I, I started kind of trying to build dialogue and exciting stuff for him to do. Um, and, and fortunately, Phil Noto can draw likenesses like nobody's business. So his Oscar, his Poe looked like Oscar Isaac, which was great. And then, mm. you know, by the time the issue came, by the time the issue came out, which I think was January 2015, I had seen Force Awakens. So I was I was able to dive in and make a few tweaks to the dialogue. But by and large, I didn't have to make that many changes because, you know, Poe Dameron is, is amazing, but he's also just like a super charming, super skilled pilot who makes some great jokes. So, you know, mm-hmm. you can you can write that all day long. But it, uh, you know, the approach to it beyond trying to figure out who the hell Poe Dameron was, was to uh, try to tell very much the sort of the Flash Gordon Adventure serial mode that informed the original A New Hope, um, mm-hmm. while also thinking of it in sort of a Cold War detente situation where where you couldn't we couldn't have open conflicts with the First Order at that time because it was set before Episode Seven and the events of Episode Seven were supposed to be the first significant conflicts between the First Order and either the New Republic or the Resistance. So mm-hmm. we could have little skirmishes, little things, little spy missions, whatever, and they could know about each other and hate each other, but they could not have a big, huge space battle. So we had to write a Star Wars series that could not have big space battles. And like it was, it, there were a lot of weird restrictions on it because it was set before Episode. 
of seven. And so, you know, we, we decided to lean into the Cold War aspect and make it almost more of an espionage thing or a secret missions thing. Um, mm. And and it works, you know, it, 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 it built and built. And then, you know, you get this great series. What what led to the decision to bring the uglies back as canon? Oh, I, uh, I, I think, so, you know, Pablo Hidalgo, who's, uh-huh. who's a significant figure in story group. Um, he's also awesome and a fountain of great ideas. And I believe that at some point he mentioned the idea of uglies to me. Like he, he reminded me about them because, you know, we all knew uglies from the EU and he's like, you know, maybe there's a place somewhere, you know, if you think about it, uglies would be cool. And because this is set after the, um, the original trilogies ended, it was set in the period between six and seven and very close to seven. The idea that there's a bunch of old rebels and Imperial tech kind of floating around made perfect sense. So uh, we had the main villain of the series, this guy named Agent Terex, who had been a crime lord for a long, long time. He's an ex-stormtrooper who joined up with the First Order when he heard about them because he missed the Empire so much. But in the intervening decades, he had been a crime lord, and he his, his group used old rebel and imperial tech and built ships out of it so that they could get around and be, you know, do their nefarious things. And uh, I wanted them to have a unique look that was also recognizable and uglies just fit the bill um, because uglies are kind of ugly and they're fun and you can do a lot of things with it. Like that's, you know, if you're a, a, a Star Wars artist, I think uglies are kind of your dream. Like like kip bashing a bunch of a bunch of ships together and making them look cool in different ways. It's fun. Now, Eric wanted to know, how's it feel to know you're playing a significant role in creating the new Star Wars canon, and were you a fan of any of the former EU slash Legends stories? Uh, it feels extraordinary. I mean, this is really like you know something that you've loved your whole life. I'm not a not a like oh I really like that kind of level, but like this is my favorite thing level. Like since I was very little, Star Wars has been the thing that I've cared you know in, in as far as pop culture, Star Wars has been the thing that I've cared the most about without any question. Number one by a mile. And so now. That that I'm not just involved in telling some stories, but like, I'm kind of, you know, I don't want to overstate my role, right? I'm not George Lucas. I'm not Dave Filoni, not John Favreau, but I'm also telling stories that matter to people who care about this stuff. Um, you know, the, the rise of Kylo Ren is a great example. Like a lot of people are very, very invested in, in Ben Solo and Kylo Ren and Ray and, and all of it. And I got to tell a very, very significant story within that, yep. that character's timeline. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm getting to do the high Republic, which we can't talk about in any detail at all, but, I'm part of the the brain trust that is developing this incredibly amazing new storyline for for Star Wars. Like these are, you know, I, I mean, it's amazing. Like to, the, the idea that I'm trusted to to build on on the stand on the shoulders of the giants who've already made the things that have that have affected so many and so many people love. You know, there's it's it's wild, and there's a lot of attention and focus that goes with that. Like, you know, if I if I had developed or done Rise of Kylo Ren in a way that people didn't respond to, I think again, it's just like Death of Wolverine. Like it would have been, it would not have gone well right. for me but i don't know like it's it's you always swing for the fences um so now, that was the first part and then go ahead sorry i was gonna say with the high republic it's been announced you are doing a young adult novel Mm-mm. no full novel i'm writing the launch novel I'm, I'm kicking the whole thing off so i'm writing the, the adult novel from del rey that begins the entire event so i am the leadoff hitter i guess whatever you want to say whatever sports analogy you want to do i'm the, <laughs> you know it's it's a massive responsibility because the first the, the first real things people are going to see of the high republic will be from my pen. And so I'm very, I'm, I'm nervous about that one because that's, that's, if I screw that up, you know, people just, there's a lot writing on that book being good and cool and people digging what's to come. 
But at the same time, it's just like every other project we've talked about from Daredevil, Death Wolverine, whatever. Like the, I wouldn't take these jobs if I didn't think I could and I wouldn't take them if I knew I wasn't going to give them my all. And that is what I'm doing with everything from, you know, Light of the Jedi to my own stuff to everything. Undiscovered Country with, with Scott. Like every book I do, I, I push to the absolute end and uh, Light of the Jedi is no exception. So um, going back to Death of Wolverine, how how did you approach how did you approach doing something like killing off Wolverine and telling that story? That was that was hard because I knew ultimately I knew from the beginning of writing Death of Wolverine that it was really about the last three pages, right? It was about because I wasn't going to kill him in issue two, right? So it was it was about whatever his death scene was, and if I got the death right, then the rest it's not that it didn't matter, right? You know, it had to be cool, but like the setup needed to be cool, and then the death had to be fantastic, and it had to be thematic, and it had to be symbolic and it had to be visually awesome and it had to put him in a place where he couldn't just heal uh and so i put all those i put all those requirements for myself in a in a bucket and mix it together and i thought well you know what if what if he dies from a way that i mean obviously he can't get out of it but but what if the thing that gave him his power in many ways made him invulnerable and made him a weapon and all of that is also what killed him and also made him the icon that he is so mm-hmm. the idea of him becoming a statue of, of molten adamantium to me it felt very much like oh yeah that's that's just on the nose enough to be awesome you know it's just it's just like it just feels correct and i there were people you know not everybody not there's no way you're gonna write death wolverine and everybody's gonna be happy it's impossible of um, course yeah I, which is fine i went into that knowing that would be true but i the, the the basically the biggest complaint i ended up getting was like why wasn't why wasn't he killed in a massive battle why wasn't he you know like you know, why was something like huge 10,000 ninjas chopping him up. And I'm like, well, the, the reason why is because we've seen him defeat 10,000 ninjas before. So why would this be different? Why would this be a situation where, like, all of a sudden he can't just, you know, why did why why is he worse than 10,000 ninjas this time? I didn't want to do something that diminished him. I wanted to do something that elevated him and, again, made him into an icon. And so when I kept thinking about that, you know, he should be iconic, I'm like, oh, well, why don't I just make him a statue? Which I know sounds dumb when I say it that way, but it, it you know, you <laughs> read it, right? Like, it, it, it landed. And it, it you know, him him frozen adamantium at the end of it in in that pose in the way Steve McNiven drew it perfectly because it, it showed oh, yeah. what experienced was like that was not that was not a good way to go and he did not deserve a good way to go he deserved pain and he knew it and he embraced it and then he died with the sunset shining off his you know what was left of him with his claws out and the whole thing like that's the way if you're Wolverine and you could pick away and it wasn't dying in bed which I don't think he even picked like I think the way he went is <laughs> one of, it would be on his list maybe it wouldn't be his number one but it'd be on his list I think so and it's funny because that's one of those things that being a kid being a, a teen in the 80s when Wolverine was everywhere like mm. well how could Wolverine die? Wolverine can never die he's immortal you know so it, that was to see the death of Wolverine Wolverine, and I was like, "Wow, you know, that was uh, that 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 was some genius writing." <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah, it, it, uh, I was very, I was very happy with it. Very happy with the way it was received. You know, again, a couple people wanted those ninjas, but you know, they're they're the minority. I think. I think a lot of people, especially in time, have come to sort of appreciate what what that was, which is mm-hmm. nice. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, another question from Eric, and, and I'm going to piggyback on this one and saying congrats on the Oracle year. Um, oh, thank you. As a writer who has written both in prose format and in screenplay comics format, do you have a preference? 
And does they're, one feel more challenging than the other? They're, you know, they're very different sets of, uh, they use very different muscles. Like right now I'm in the middle of a, of a significant revision on a novel and I'm like, ah, like it feels very, very hard and very challenging because you have to, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of a, it's sort of a grind a little bit when you're revising a novel. But um, when you're doing a comic, like right now I'm in the middle of doing, I'm in the middle of a Kickstarter um, for my book, Curse Words, an image series. And uh, with, with my collaborator, Ryan Brown, and um, he he and I did the series with image through 2018 or 2019. It just ended, I think, last fall. And um, we're doing an omnibus for it. So, so that's running, I think, for another two weeks. So if you haven't had a chance to check that out, maybe you should. But um, Ryan is one of my best, best friends in all the world. And so, and he and I have a very uh, effective shorthand in terms of writing comics and making comics and all that. It's really, really great. So comics is like you're in a band sometimes. I've done a lot of music stuff, so I, I often use music metaphors with things. But you have this team of creative people who are all working together to make something special. When you're writing a novel, you're it's all on you. All of the creative choices are yours. Yeah, you have an editor, you have an agent, you have some people who are willing to give you some tips here and there. But basically, you sink or swim by your own gumption, your own skill, your own your own initiative and your own thoughts. Um, so sometimes I like that because I can direct the reader's attention exactly where I want it to go. I can, I can shine the spotlight on whatever details I want. I can make sure that whatever element I want to be in there is in there. Um, which is not always the case with comics. Sometimes the artist sort of, you know, does things a little differently than you envision in your head, which is fine. Like I, I'm, I'm very much over any pretension or, or preciousness about my own scripts. Um, it's, it's a thrill to see how artists interpret them. Um, but when you're doing a comic, you know, you don't have to make every decision yourself, which is really nice. The artists can, you know, they list some of the weight. The colorists list some of the weight. The letters, the editors, like you're you're in a band and you're, you're writing a song together and it's really fun. So sometimes in the mood to be in a band, sometimes in the mood to be a solo act, uh, and they both have their pluses and minuses. Um, but mostly it's about trying to do good work no matter what the, uh, what the medium is. You know, I'm getting into a lot of screenwriting now. I've been doing music for a long, long time. And, and I think you can tell a story a lot of different ways. Um, it's really just about the, you know, if the story, the, the core of it is strong, then then it almost medium is more it's cosmetic you know it's what how you feel like doing it so um <laughs> i start you guys down with that one huh no <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I think we just we we're just waiting. We're, to see we're going to go next. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Well, actually, are you? Well, there's a, a uh, an event uh, called a NaNoWriMo and National okay. Novel Month. Yeah. And so yeah. the oh, same yeah. said do that. They did something called Script Frenzy, which okay. was in April, where you had to write a script within 30 days. One of the things you could do was write a a, a comic book script. So I was like, cool. okay, so I'd done Nano and. I I, and I now completed a couple of novels. So I was like, well, you know, I'll try my hand at uh, a comic book script. I, like, I've read comics all my life. So, you know, how hard could it be? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> honestly, it, 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 when you say it's like it requires different muscles, it really, it's a completely different kind of writing. Like, it's it's creative. Yeah. But there there was a I, – I, I, I gained more respect for comic writers because I'm like – I. The, the type of think it, it feels like a different type of thinking too. I just couldn't. Mm. 
Yeah, it was. Um, and so to hear you to hear you live in both worlds, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 I respect you for being able to be able to shift from one into the other. You know, it's it's just instruments, right? So like, you know, you might play piano, you might play guitar, you might play saxophone and, and you're making music with all three of them. But mm-hmm. the way you do it is a little is different. Uh, and some are closer than others. Some is like you play the violin and then you pick up the cello, right? You can you can probably make music with those more easily than you could if it's going from from, from piano. Uh, and so I think, you know, I, I think that comic writing is closer to screenwriting than it is to novel writing. Novel writing is a whole nother thing. Poetry is a whole nother thing. I mean, there's there's all of video game oh, yeah. is a whole completely different storytelling medium. Like all of these things have their have their uh, tricks to them and their techniques to them. But ultimately, it's all it's all telling story. It's all different instruments making music. So when you're going to move to a different medium, you just have to learn whatever the techniques that are required to do that medium. And comics, you know, a lot of people. It's I have my I have a good friend Jim Zub um, who who uh, is great, and I'm sure you guys know his work and. He he, oh, he and yeah. I used to do these um, these awesome uh, writer panels on at conventions. We're just sort of writer process panels, and obviously conventions don't exist anymore, which is a damn shame. But um, we did a lot of them, and one of the metaphors he always used to uh, he used to he used to do it two ways. One was um, you know getting a job in comics. You know, you, like you can't just go to a, a rest a great restaurant and be like, I love food, I love it so much, I want to be the chef now. Um, you know, and and the other similar metaphor was you know I watch baseball every single day you know i watch it i watch games i watch repeats i love baseball so i want to you know put me in you know i want to pitch i'm going to be at bat whatever and it doesn't work that way you know like there's a lot of craft in writing comics and i think the same is true like there are very successful screenwriters who want to come in and and just jump into comics and they find that it's you know there's a lot of technique and thought that goes into the crafting a comic page and crafting a you know page turn and all that stuff so (laughs) sorry Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess you would have to, you would have to approach each thing differently, given that it's a, a different medium. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, going well, back to to uh, the High Republic, I have one question. I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer it at this point, but um, when when writing stuff for the High Republic, do you have – is it as tightly controlled as um, other Star Wars things like Darth Vader and stuff um, by, by Lucasfilm? Um, I guess it depends on how you want to look at it. I mean the, the High Republic is set long before the prequels. It's hundreds right. of years before the prequels. And so you, know, you don't have to think about, well, the Death Star exploded around here. You don't have to think about – oh, this is when Han Solo is frozen in carbonite. You don't have to think about things like that because those events, there are not fixed points within the timeline the way that there are in, in literally all of the Star Wars storytelling we've seen since the canon reboot. Um, right. So, uh, I, you know, I, again, I, I can't really speak too much about it other than to say that we um, are embracing the possibilities of a story that's set far before uh, anything that we've seen before. Um, but it's also, you know, there's five writers, there's story group, there's editors, there's executives. There's a lot of people who really want to make something new and special. And so we're all working really, really hard to uh, to make something great. And so does that mean it's controlled? I don't know. But there's a lot of people who are working hard to make sure that it's great. So, um, which is good because these are all really, really smart, brilliant people. Like the other, the other writers, uh, with, who are working with me, you know, it's, it's, uh, Claudia Gray, just in Ireland and Daniel Jose Older and, uh, and, and Kevin Scott, we are all in, in near 
we're constant communication, working really, really hard, and everybody's really strong at what they do. And so uh, we're all just, you know, giving it our all, and we're, we just are very excited for you guys to see it. I, I was going to ask, are you guys in talks saying, hey, I got this character doing this. Does it coincide with what you guys are doing? And, and you're saying apparently you guys are kind of in that still brainstorm group of coinciding or making sure everyone's cross stories on the characters are, are still jiving we, with each yeah, other. We're, we're, it's, it's all very cohesive. It's all built to be a, you know, a lot of stories that are one story. And wow. so we, I mean, like we, we literally talk pretty much every single day about it. So it's, uh, you know, they're, they're all family now, which is a uh, kind of a funny thing. You, you know, you get you get put in a room at Skywalker Ranch to start building something years ago. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know, they're people that you speak to every single day about this this new story. So it's really uh, it's kind of it's kind of crazy the way career goes. It, I mean, it goes back to, you know, when we were talking about going to Lucasfilm for, for the Poe Dameron book or getting tapped to write Death of Wolverine or getting asked to write Swamp Thing or any of these things. Like I'm I feel so joyful and thankful that that these opportunities come my way. And I I feel like there's a responsibility when they do to you know I keep I've said this multiple times during this interview but like you know I, I take every single book very seriously I, I feel like my name is on the cover I'm working with collaborators I need to make sure that everybody is is getting my best and that goes to you guys as the as the readers and consumers to the people that I'm working with that are depending on on you know nobody wants to draw bad scripts right um, nobody wants to to retailers don't want to put a bad comic on their shelves like there's all these people who are depending on me and the decisions I make creatively. And, and, and most of all, I'm depending on myself and the decisions I make creatively. Like, I don't want to look back at my career and be like, well, you know, you really could have done better on that one, right. but you just didn't care. So, like, <laughs> I always care, and I'm always going to care, and, and I hope that that shows through in all the stories that you guys get from me. Are there any Marvel uh, characters or, or groups that you haven't written, but you want to take a crack at? Um, you know, it's, it is very funny, because I'm, I'm, I'm scratching a lot of my kind of licensed character itch with the Star Wars stuff right now. I had a long time at Marvel, um, which was amazing. Uh, and I got to write pretty much everybody that I would want to write in one way or another. I think I have a really good Captain America run in me. I think that I could do well with Spider-Man. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I like I, I think I'm not sure. Like, I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of places to put my ideas. I have a lot going on. And, and I'm not sure that... Um, I would, I would, you know, jump at like a, a three-year run on, on, you know, whatever the character is at this at this point. I'm mm-hmm. not saying no, never say never. You know, I love Marvel. I love everybody there. I love, I love the DC characters too. I really did get a lot of time with a lot of those characters. Like Green Lantern is a character I really, really like, and I think I could do a lot oh, with. Yeah. There's also like some some of the Justice Society characters I really love. Our Man is yeah. a big favorite of mine. Weird, right? But like, I really like Our Man. Um, <laughs> so I think I think there could be there could be you know stories I could tell over there at some point too. But but really my focus right now is is star wars stuff and then my own my own novels which are the oracle year and anyone so far uh my third will be out in a while uh, i mean well i guess oracle year anyone light of the jedi and then my fourth will be out in a while um i'm doing creator-owned books uh for comics i have a series that i'm doing with uh, my writer like a very very close friend scott snyder um i'm sure you guys mm-hmm. know his work batman and all kinds of other mm-hmm. stuff 
stuff. Um, so we've been doing this book, Undiscovered Country for Image. Uh, <gasps> five issues of so far. Right. The sixth issue is going to come out on June 10th. And now that comics are finally coming back, thank God. Um, and then the trade for that is out in July, which is really exciting. That that book has really been embraced. It's it's about the United States sealing itself off uh, from the rest of the world. How funny. And then 30 years later, it's it's been like North Korea. It's been a black box for all that time. And then 30 years later, it opens its doors again. And an expedition goes in to see, see what it's become. It's become very strange. It's become very, very different. So, uh, <laughs> which is which is a blast. That book is really cool. And it's just really fun. It's, you know, I talked to you before about how working with Ryan Brown was so fun. Right. Working with Scott and Giuseppe Camicoli is the artist who I did my Darth Vader run. Ooh, so, yeah. so that's been great. Um, obviously, the Curse Words Kickstarter I mentioned, you can look that up now and, and pledge if you want. It's a really great package. Lots of cool extras. And then um, I'm developing a number of, of additional things uh, for kind of the next round of creator-owned comics that I'll be doing, which are all pretty damn cool. So, so that's what I have going on. Uh, Kyle, um, so yes, awesome. I'm going to I'm gonna have to jump. I hate to say it, but I wanted to say where you guys can all find me online. If that, you're was, that was um, going to be one of our final questions. <laughs> fantastic. So, so the best place I have a website, which is just charlessoul.com. And if you go there, O-U-L-E.com, if you go there, you'll get a prompt to join my newsletter. I send out one a month. Uh, it's very, you know, it's a good read. It's fun. It gives information. There's like exclusives, stuff available on my, my site store, all kinds of cool things. That's, that's worth the sign up. I know you get a lot of newsletters, a lot of emails, but this one's pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also very, very active on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash Charles Soul, uh, just my name. Um, I, I am, you know, talk to fans, respond to questions, all that stuff. So if, if you're looking to track me down, those are probably the best ways to do it. You can also email me if you want to shoot me a note on my, at my website too. So, awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. Thanks. And- well, it was a huge pleasure, you guys. Thanks for having me. And we can't wait to. Oh, yeah. Derek and I can't awesome. wait to get you over on uh, Wookie Radio, where we just talk Star Wars. Star Wars. All right. Well, we'll, we'll get that here in a few months. You'll get me eventually, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Right. Have a great night. You, you too. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. I've been authorized by Director Fury to use any means necessary to keep you on premises. If you attempt to leave right. or play any games, I will tase you and watch Super Nanny while you drool into the carpet. And welcome back to Mighty Marvel Geeks. Um, I hope you enjoyed the interview with, with Charles. We have. It's been a long time coming. I did. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, thank you, Eric, for your questions. I mean, Derek, you were great, too. <laughs> so one time I could say Derek and be right for once. Um, true. <laughs> and, of course, Eric couldn't join us this week because of um, some hush-hush matters Fury has him on. Um, mm-hmm. I think it has something to do with going over to some major league building and checking <laughs> And checking on the work status or providing some work for some junior janitors. <laughs> uh, I'll just leave it at that. That's my... Oh, oh boy. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. And next thing I know, the sound drop down is trying to get to play. It's thinking and it's probably going to start up here in a second as I start talking. Um, if it does, oh, well. If it doesn't, we'll continue on. Um, So from the Pop Insider, our friends over at the Pop Insider, which, hey, did you know you could catch a weekly recap of this show and all our other shows? Geek Watch One, Keepers of the Fringe, New England Society of Geek, the two shows they do a month. Hey. Which I know you're trying to, hey, I know you're trying to get more, but you're still doing at least the comic show in the Falcons Lounge, right? (laughs) 
Yeah, and I'm about to start my Star Wars uh, chronological rewatch experiment. Ooh. So stay tuned. For- I'm going to rewatch all of Star Wars, including the, the cartoons and everything in chronological oh, wow. order. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, are you, are you going to do Clone Wars in timeline order? Yes. Or, or go season one, episode one? Nope, I'm doing it in timeline order. Oh, wow. I found, I found a great article that splits up every everything into the story arcs and and what and it's weird because they jump around quite a bit yeah they do they do but yeah i'm going to be doing it all in chronological order uh of course including including droids (laughs) Uh, it's not canon it's i would love to but it's not canon Droids isn't canon. No, droids and Ewoks. Droids and Ewoks were not canon. Wow. Or they're not now. They're that's all Legends material. Otherwise, I'd throw in the uh, the Ewok movies too. Yeah, Mm-mm-mm. which should be canon. Mm, yeah. So. Um, but like I said, we are with Pop Insiders, Geek Watch One, Keepers of the Fringe, and New England Society of Geeks, and of course, Weeby Geeks, Wookie Radio, and the show Mighty Marvel Geeks. And of course, you can also listen to us on Social Radio, as you are now, uh, on this fine Saturday night. Or if it's not Saturday, then you're listening to us from the Podcast Collective, the Weeby Geeks Podcast Collective. Um, so from the Pop Insider, this was one of their exclusives, uh, posted by our friend James over at Pop Insider. Um, oh, nice. Collect and battle with Funko's Marvel Battle World Mystery of the Thanos Stones. What? Yes. So, get ready to collect and battle your favorite Marvel heroes in a whole new way. Uh, apparently, Funko and Marvel have forged an alliance for Battleworld, Mystery of the Thanos Stones, a new micro-collectible tabletop gaming system that combines figures, cards, and dice. Oh, wow. Uh, this was revealed exclusively across Pop Insider, the Toy Insider, and the Toy Box, or the Toy Book. I'm sorry. The Toy book, um, Marvel Battle World, I'm just going to leave it there, uh, invites one to four players to battle against the mad titan Thanos in gameplay unleashed through a battle ball. Each battle ball contains a surprise assortment of two collectible Marvel characters, hero cards, battle cards, and a pair of dice. Players can collect and battle with iconic heroes including Iron Man, Captain Marvel, and Groot alongside characters including Valkyrie, Gamora, Throg, and and Spider Ham. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. Um, series ones includes surprise battle balls and a mega pack that comes with six collectible heroes and thirteen battle cards. Collectors can be on the lookout for exclusive characters, including Negative Zone Spider Man. Oh, um, okay. Oh. Now, here's the cool part. The adventure is going to continue on screen in a short form animated battle world content created by Funko Animation Studios in co- in conjunction with Marvel. Uh, the animated shorts are introduced to a new plot by Thanos to trap Marvel heroes in battle world. Uh, the content will be available across multiple platforms, including Disney XD, Marvel HQ, YouTube and more. Uh, to quote Brian Mariotti, uh, we are thrilled that Marvel has chosen to expand the Funko collaboration to engage their younger fans with a new category of products and animation collaboration. 
Funko enters the toy aisle for the first time with a product offering a a tremendous value. In addition to two micro-collectible characters inside the Battle Ball, the child can independently or team up with friends to defeat Thanos through gameplay. This kind of product assortment is both what kids want and what retailers are keen to offer parents. Uh, Target, uh, it will be Marvel Battle World. Mystery of the Thanos Stones will be the, will be first to market at Target stores starting this June. So two weeks away, minimum. Cool. That's not bad. So your thoughts. I don't think this is going to be just for kids. It doesn't sound like it is. Yeah. I mean, I mean the whole Battle World storyline was isn't exactly yeah. you know for kids anyway so that's for sure i i'd be curious to know what the price point is for these yeah especially if it's going to be if it's a collector no a collector game yeah you know, so well lo- looking at the picture provided in this article um give me a second and I just realized that sent to Charles. Um, check out the link. This picture that you see with the kids, when they say micro, yeah, they're micro. They're almost like the size of the keychains, just a hair smaller. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that ball is a good size ball. And I wonder if the cards fit inside of this on yeah. top. It's got to. Yeah. So it looks like everything's packaged inside this ball thing. Yeah, it must. Yeah, it must be. It is. I I don't know. I, if it's a decent price point, I would consider just getting it to collect. True. Yeah. Because to me, this is perfect size to put on like, a, you know, these are like perfect size to display on a small shelf. Then you don't have to worry about all the, you know, figuring out, do you leave it in the box? Do you let it breathe and display them outside of the box? Right. Uh I'm the type that I like to take things out of the box. So you let them breathe. I'm, yes, I'm half, I do. I'm half and half. Um, as soon as I get proper proper displays, I'm going to be having some stuff. I'm going to let it breathe, like my Coded by Yuka stuff as well. But I got some things that, no, I, I want to keep them in the box. Hence why I have two Dr. Aphras. I have one still <laughs> mint on card and one that's loose because my card was not mint. I got that one. So... Um, so I think we all agree. Uh, we're looking forward to this. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm intrigued. I definitely want to check it out. Now, uh, next story up, speaking of Wolverine earlier with Charles, um, X-Men star Nicholas Holt wants to return as Beast in Marvel Studios reboot. Oh, cool. Oh. Uh, he says there's a lot more to explore with the with the with Big Blue, um, and of course, you know he he's played Hank in four movies: X Men First Class, X Men Days of Future Past, Present, whatever, uh, X Men Apocalyp, and the Flop mm. Phoenix, <laughs> which I still haven't watched yet. Uh, he also he also has a a cameo in Deadpool two as uh, a teacher at the Institute founded by Charles Xavier. Um, Hmm. Last we saw Beast, he was taking over the um, as headmaster from Xavier, uh, renamed Jean Grey's school for the gifted youngsters after the apparent demise of Jean Grey in the 90s set flop Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, no. Or, or Dark Rotisserie. <laughs> I think Dark Rotisserie has better, it sounds better, apparently. <laughs> um, it continues, that was a fun evolution. That's something I, I'm always looking for is how a character changes. I think there's a lot more to explore with that character. Um, and he's, he said this to Variety while promoting uh, the Hulu series, The Great. Uh, I'm, I'd be interested to know 
where they see it going next. Well, hate to say it, if they do, when they do the X-Men reboot, I don't think they're going to be bringing back any of the second second volume. Well, you never know, but it does seem unlikely. Yeah. I mean, do, do you think it'll be... So you think uh, if, well, this going to be more of a when they do, going to be all new cast, or do you think they're going to go with all new characters? Well, the other thing, yeah, they, that's what I was going to say. They might even go with a lot of new characters um, just to differentiate it mm-hmm. from what has come before. So it, it's hard to say. Although I love Beast. I would like to see Beast in it. I mean, I would, too. I'm a fan of Beast. So, uh, you know, especially, you know, to be honest with you, the 90s series helped make me fall in, lo- uh, fall in love with Beast as a character. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, it was interesting how – I don't know. I mean, now, mind you, growing up in the 80s, I, for, I, I wasn't on the X-Men bag, bandwagon. That didn't happen for me until the 90s. And by the time you got to the 90s, uh, it, it was all Gambit. Yeah. Uh, pretty much all Gambit and Wolverine <laughs> at that point. That was pretty much it, you know? Oh, pretty much, and, yeah. Oh, oh, what was the other one? Oh, long shot. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, and Jubilee was pretty big at the time too. Yeah, well, yeah. I guess that would be more eighties, wouldn't it? Uh, Ju- Jubilee, uh. oh, no, Jubilee got really big in the nineties because of the uh, yes, the nineties, uh, the yeah, 90s right. animated series. So right, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's basically the one who started the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, which, which hey, you can watch that series on Disney Plus. Yeah. Yes, and yeah, I I'll, have been. I'm, I'm waiting to see um, Fury Files. I, I know we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Um, a, apparently, apparently, I thought it was supposed to start supposed to be two, lot. two on Disney Plus, but apparently it went to YouTube. I heard it did. Which is, yeah, that's okay. the last I had heard. But it, it was um, it was listed to release I, on on May fifteenth. Right. Yeah, I was looking forward to seeing it. Anyway, um, well, maybe not. The trailer's on YouTube, but mm-hmm. yeah. Well, yeah. something that needs, excuse me, needs to be on Disney Plus, but won't until its time on Netflix is over. And of course, we're about to get the final season, and I got the hiccups now. <laughs> um, I wonder if there's something Thursday could do to, to to help with the hiccups. Hail Hydra! Yeah, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for pressing the self-destruct button. Have a nice day. I didn't press the self-destruct button. Okay, this isn't working. Anyway, um, Clark Gregg, according to comicbook.com, Clark Gregg has mixed feelings about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s departure from the MCU. Oh, my God, this is hurting. Trying to talk and <laughs> all of a sudden the diver is like, nope, you're not breathing now. I'm sure as y'all can hear. Uh Y'all are getting a kick watching this, too. I know you are. I always... I- People with hiccups always makes me laugh. Even my, even when I myself, I laugh at myself when I have them. So, my wife nut. <laughs> um, Agents of Shield's seventh and final season starts next week. Oh, wow! Wow! Yeah. So, final ten, twelve episodes are coming. Man. Yeah. Show that was not expected <laughs> to go to go this long. I know. I know huh? So, um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do this season. Yeah. I mean, last season was, was decent, but it, man, I hope they make up for last season. Mm-mm. Um, I mean, season five was great. 
Yeah. So, um, so anyway, during the show's earlier seasons, the, the episode stayed in line with what was happening in the Marvel movies. Uh, however, at the end of season five, uh, it did not fall in line with the Avengers Infinity War. And season six made no reference to the events at all of Endgame. Mm. Well, because mm. I don't think it took place at the time of Endgame. I still think um, season six took place post-snap. Yeah, I think it did. Uh, it, t- it still takes place after Infinity War during that five-year gap. Mm-hmm. Um, so now people are beginning to debate whether or not the show is still considered canon. Mm. So let's mm-hmm. go with y'all's initial thoughts. Canon or not canon? <sighs> Canon. Oh, yeah, I'm going to say canon, but I don't know. Uh, could we go canon slash multiverse? You could. Mm, possibly. Since that's, I mean, since that's being talked about with the next Doctor Strange movie. Well, see, here's uh, the thing. I, I think I, I think it's canon. Up to, I, I feel like it's canon. I think it turns multiverse once they go into outer space because you know they're uh, prior. I'm trying to remember which season it may have been. Maybe season, season five. five is where they go to outer space. So see, in season four, there's a there's a there's a part in season four where Mac is talking to his brother, and uh, that this is, I guess, where his brother had. T- had been working for Hydra or something, and his brother doesn't know that Mac is working for Shield. But you know they're talking this stuff, and there's a part where they're watching the news, and the news references something uh, a gang war in Harlem, and right. that, and that was the same. I think that may have been the same season, or right after, or either same same season as during. Um, it was either Luke Cage. Or Daredevil. I right, think it, yeah. with, I think it was right during uh, Daredevil's season two. Yeah, either one or two, so, and yeah. Jessica Jones. Okay, you didn't come out yet, right? And, and see, like Jessica Jones, like in all those shows, they referenced the Battle of New York. Right. So, so right. they were Battle of New York. Agents of Shield obviously references the Battle of New York because it takes place right after because everybody thought that Coulson was dead. Right. So it's it's canon, but I think once they went to outer space, then it turned to multiverse. Still canon, but multiverse. Yeah, That's yeah, you, yeah. You could be right. Well, also because um, it's possible they might have gone into an alternate timeline when they went through all that. They sure. went ahead to the future to go to space and they came back in time and and there was a whole thing where um, Quake had destroyed the whole planet. And- well, but the only person who could have technically who wouldn't have did that jump was uh, was Fitz. Mm-hmm. Right. But he meets up with the guy who took the everyone else and arranged for the suspended animation and everything else. So who? So again, who's to say that particular guy, that particular race, isn't responsible for creating a multiverse? Sure, sure, true. And that he didn't take them completely into the future, but he took them into the future in another universe. Right. So it kind of 
it kind of feels like to me, at least especially with the last couple of seasons, it was kind of, I always got the impression like, yeah, technically we're a part of the whole MCU, but, you know, don't really worry about it too much. Right. I agree with that. So, um, anyway, in a recent interview with Variety, Clark Gregg um, was asked how he felt about the agents being unaffected by the Thanos snap. Um, goes, do you miss that connection? Or they ask him, do you miss that connection or, at all? Or was that more of like a relief? You don't have to worry about it. He goes, um, I guess I did and I didn't. And you look back at season one and you look at the way it crossed over with Hydra and took the handcuffs off our poor writers when everyone was like, what is this show? Um, and then Sam and Colby came to play. Um, I thought that was really thrilling. I missed that part of it, but I also mi- but I also felt like Agents of Shield really continued to evolve. Once they got to season four, and there were the three separate pods, uh, Ghost Rider, LMDs, and Framework. I thought this is what happens when those gutsy writers aren't tied too closely to all of that. But I think they still could have done all of that while still been tied to the other. The, right. the pods format is the way they should have gone. From the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that really worked well. So they get to really tear it apart and start over with a new corner of the Marvel Universe every season, sometimes two or three times in a season. So, um, so yeah. But unfortunately, I gotta ask you guys, final thoughts. Swear at that point uh well you know it was awesome uh having uh charles on and uh to uh to find out about yet another marvel game that's coming out and uh <laughs> and uh and then i'm i'm jazzed and sad about the new uh and final season of agents yeah. of shield yeah yeah so, so yeah I, that that's i'm after that i'm thought it out what about you Derek? <laughs> Well, I just want to say uh, thanks for letting me come on tonight. I was very excited to talk to Charles Soule, one of my favorite writers, and uh, it's been uh, it's been fun being with you guys. Oh, thank you. Well, Thursday, there's only one thing left to do. All wrapped up here, sir. Will there be anything else? Nope. Just time to go darker. So this is the secret lair of the West Coast Avengers. I always wondered. I'm Special Agent Tony Denozo, yes. <laughs>